Howdy Church, glad that you are here. On your way in, you should have been handed the notes, and if you'll pick those up, we'll jump into our series here on Ephesians. While you're doing that, let me welcome all of our campuses, uh, obviously teaching here from Lone Tree, but you're going to be hearing this tonight, Castle Rock and Highlands Ranch and Lakewood, um, people that'll be tuning in live streaming, people literally that listen to us from different parts of the world, and then folks that'll hear us later on via podcasting, DVDs, CDs, however you're a part of the JFC family. We want to welcome you and thank you uh, for being a part of it. This month, October, does anybody know what this month is? Say it out loud. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. All right, now, I have never in 14 years ever drawn attention to that right there. Mostly because I do not like drawing attention to myself. It's just not what I'm comfortable with. But we've got, listen to this, 50 pastors on staff through four campuses. How about this? If you run into one of your pastors tonight, regardless of which campus you attend, why don't you tell them thank you? Let's try that one more time. <laughs> don't make me regret that I brought up Pastor Appreciate. This is, this is like my worst fear coming true. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. If you run into one of your pastors tonight, tell them thank you. Hey. Do, do you hey, do you like your church? Yeah. Say, say this to you. Church is not made up of buildings. It is not made up of a physical address. It is made up of the people who are inside of it. And I can tell you this, if you like this church, you like what we do, you like what we accomplish, it is because of the leadership inside of this church, the direction that this leadership takes it in. And I'm going to tell you the truth. We have some of the finest pastors you could ever meet in your life. There are many good ones in Denver. There's no question about that. I'm not saying JFC's got better. I, well, I am saying we got better. But, 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 but back that up. Uh, run into them tonight. Say thank you. Just, just take a moment to appreciate your pastors. I, I, I this, this past uh, week, I took some time, got together with all of our pastors and all of our leadership, and uh, it just took a half day. I uh, treated them to lunch and just said thank you. You guys, you, you're what make JFC successful. And I wanted to say that uh, to you. If you uh, have a pastor that's touched your life, one of the guys here, one of the girls here who has made a difference for you, take a moment tonight or this coming week, write them a card, drop them a note, go to them personally, say thank you to them. They would appreciate it. It would mean a lot. And to be honest with you, the, the truth is sometimes um, the work that we do, you wonder, does it really make a difference in somebody's life? To hear it from somebody makes all the difference in the world. So take a moment, do that right there. All right, we're teaching on the book of Ephesians. And uh, last week, Pastor Dan taught, did an outstanding job, did he not? Loved it. Uh, someone made this comment, one of our, our teaching team said, Pastor Dan probably did uh, the best job that they've ever heard him teach. Here's what I have noticed. Every time Dan's teaching now, it's going to a new level. I think everyone would agree with that. There's just an anointing on his life. There's a mantle that's resting on him now to where whenever Dan teaches, he's coming into this new level of authority. And I think that that's what we're seeing happen. That when he teaches, what did they say uh, in asking Jesus one time? He doesn't teach like someone teaching the law. He teaches like someone who has authority uh, from it. Dan, that's how you're teaching with, with authority as you talk right now. And it is definitely not boring. So thank you, bro. You are doing an outstanding job. We just bless that. Uh, yeah, we can let him. Yeah, absolutely. So tonight we're, we're at the end of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 10 through 13. If you find it in your notes right there, you can follow along with me and I'll read it out loud. So Paul writes uh, to the Ephesian church, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Say, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after, and after having done everything to stand, well, verse 13 ends right there, but 14 begins with these two words. Therefore, stand. After doing everything to stand... Stand, therefore, or therefore stand. Let me give you a few thoughts on these verses right here that I thought were applicable and important to you. The first one is, Paul writes these words, be strong in God, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I put in my notes, and you'll see it right there in yours, one of the greatest days of your life will be when you finally come to the end of yourself. Anyone in here lived long enough to figure that out? If you're a young person, if you are mighty in the flesh, let me say this to you. One of the things that I, I look out for now when we hire people, I just mentioned we've got 50 some odd pastors. Total employees, we're closer to 100 total employees that work for the church. It's an amazing thing that's happened for us over the past 14 years. Here, though, is something that I have learned. Uh, initially, when I would hire people, uh, how many of you know that there are people who know how to interview well? Do you know what I mean by that right there? They know how to interview well. They can put it on when they get in front of you. They know how to, to, uh, they know how to talk right. They know how to present right. They know how to sell themselves is what it is. And I remember that there was a guy who approached me, and he had gone to church here for a number of years, and he wanted to go to work here, and he was very successful in the business that he had. He was a business owner. was entrepreneurial. I'm attracted to that, number one. I, I like that spirit. I like that attitude. I, like, I just like the, the, the kind of personality that is willing to say, hey, uh, let me do it for myself. If I fail, let me fail because I tried it. Or if I succeed, let me succeed because I'm trying it. They, they sort of take uh, life in their own hands. Does that make sense? And I, I, I like that. There's a lot of good with that. The guy wanted to come to work here, and he knew how to sell himself. Man, he got in front of me, and this guy began to tell me, if you hire me, here's all the things I will do for you. And by the end of the interview, I was just like, I, we've got to hire this guy. I mean, a guy sold me. He sold me on what it was. But I have learned never hire right then and there. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I try to do, everybody that we want to hire has to run the gauntlet of meeting uh, executive pastors. You've got to, it, not one person just hires like that normally. Uh, we, we make you run the, the, the gauntlet. You've got to meet several people and you have to be interviewed. So we had, uh, we had brought him in. He, he sold me. But then um, as he left my office, I, I said, okay, I'm going to pray about this. I'll let him meet a couple of other people. And I know within, within 15 seconds of him walking out of my office, I knew the Holy Spirit told me, you can't hire him. And I sat there and I thought to myself, what, why? What's wrong? Because everything looks right. Everything looks positive. And here's what I thought. If I hire this guy, I bet he will get a lot of stuff done. And that's what the Lord began to speak to me about. This is what God told me. He's a strong man in the flesh. And I ask, God, what, what does that mean? And this is what I felt like the Lord has spoken to me, is that he is able to get things done in his own power, which if you have a business, that's a wonderful thing. And if you run a marathon, that's a wonderful thing. And if you're on a diet, that's a wonderful thing. But if you have to minister to God's people, listen to this for a minute, then being a strong person of the flesh can get you into more trouble than a person of the Spirit who listens to the Holy Spirit and knows how to get things done by listening to God and doing it God's way. How many of you recognize sometimes the way God does it is completely opposite of the way we would do it? And in fact, here's what happened with this guy. Within a very short time of that meeting, I told the guy, I won't hire you. And the guy goes like this, why not? So I, I just felt like the Lord told me, I can't hire you. 
The guy blew up at me, yelled at me, screamed at me. I mean, totally revealed what was going on within, I don't know, within a year's time, he had lost his business over his temper. Over his temper. Let me just ask you a question. You recognize that, how unfortunate would it be to hire somebody who can get a lot of stuff done, but behind them is a pile of bodies? In church, that doesn't work. That may work on Wall Street. It may work in politics. But it doesn't work in church. Do you agree with that statement right there? And the idea here, Paul is teaching, I think we read that, we probably draw a lot of conclusions from it, but something that God is teaching me, and I'd like to teach you tonight, this idea, being strong in God. So I phrase it this way. One of the greatest days of your life will be when you come to the end of yourself. What I mean by that simply is this. When you finally can't, God can. Let me reverse it. As long as you can, God doesn't need to. I would say to you, the realm of the miraculous... Jim, here's, here's my thinking. The realm of the miraculous lives at the point where you give up and God has to take over. In fact, I don't think I can point to any miracle in my life, anything miraculous that's ever happened in my life that happened with me in control. That's a little scary to say because I would love to take the credit for it. What I'm actually saying is anything miraculous that's ever happened hasn't been because I had anything to do with it. It's because God was able to do it. Does that make sense? Yep. So I put down this thought right here. The idea of um, the lunatic, Matthew chapter 17. Let me read it to you rather than just uh, uh, take it and quote it a little bit. This is the father whose son was possessed. And the Bible says that he was a lunatic. It uses the word lunatic. And this is, this is I'll read it to you in the comments. So this is uh, Matthew 17, 14. When, uh, when they came to the crowd, this is Jesus and the disciples, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often falls into the water. All right, let me just comment to you. I personally believe that this is a demonic spirit, and I'll tell you why here in just a second. I think you'll see it. But it's a spirit of, of suicide that's on this kid. Because this kid is trying to kill himself Throwing himself into the fire, throwing himself into the water to drown. Obviously, it's uncontrollable because if it was controllable, this man wouldn't come to Jesus. Obviously, it's past the point of men who are strong being able to do something about it because he brought him to the disciples and the disciples weren't able to help him. So this guy is at the point where literally it's out of control. It's past the point of anybody that's strong being able to do something about it. So he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He is a lunatic and very ill. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Jesus answered him and said, unbelieving, perverted generation, how long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him and the boy was cured at once. The boy was cured at once. Okay, a second ago, here's what I said. I think that the miraculous lives in the realm of you coming to the end of yourself. I think that when we pray for miracles, I think oftentimes we don't really realize what we're praying. When you're praying for a miracle, here's what you're really praying. You are praying, God, this is out of my control, or God, I'm willing to give up at this point. I'm willing for you to take it out of my hands, or I'm willing to let it go. I can't do anything about it, so I need you. As long as you can, God doesn't need to. 
So I think that so often what we develop into are strong people of the flesh. We know how to get things done. That's good. Good for you. Learn how to get things done. Be a person who is strong. But at some level in our spiritual lives, do you agree with me that if God's going to do great things for us, it's not going to be because we know how to get it done. It's because he knows how to get it done. And us learning to give up and allow him to be in control of a situation. Honestly, I think that's where the level, the the realm of the miraculous is for most believers. It's going to be at the day where you finally give up. Coming to the end of yourself is a good day. It's a scary day. It's a, it's a, it's a day of, of total, God, what am I going to do? I, I think, you know, planting this church 14 years ago, I, I did a funeral today, standing right here, for a guy that from the second week we opened the doors was here. We were in a school, and I don't even know how he and his family found us, but they found us. I, I, God sent them, I, that was the bottom line. His name was Scott Souders. Scott served this church in so many ways. He was a board member. He, uh, much of our success is because this guy came along uh, next to me and just helped me. He was a friend to me. I, I don't set any of the salaries inside of this church. One of the areas I knew early on as a pastor, I spiritually direct this church. But when it comes to the money, I don't set any of our salaries, including mine. I give a report monthly, every dollar in, every dollar out, and I give it to the board. The board sets all the salaries. Here's how Scott used to address that issue. Scott would look at the amount of money we had. And then he would look at the needs of each pastor and each employee of the church. And he would, he would sit down. I wouldn't be in the room. I would come back in after they made their decision. And Scott would always ask me, John, is that enough? Is that enough? He always, he had this attitude where he just, he wanted to bless. And he wanted to make sure everybody was taken care of. Is that enough? What a, what a question. What a question. Is that enough? Scott was an unbelievable friend. Early on in the church, we had a lot of excitement. We had a lot of joy. We had a lot of hope. But we didn't have anything else. We met in a school. I, all, all the equipment that we had was borrowed Everything that we did was just, I mean, it was just scattered trying to pull it all together. There were days, I, I just wondered, God, how, how are we going to be here next week? And it was just trust God and have to believe God. I remember coming to the end of myself, thinking we're going to close the doors next week. And every time I would be at that place, God would then show up in a miraculous way. The stories that I'm able to tell because I came to the end of myself. I remember having to make the leap. We were in a school. We had enough money to get into a storefront. We get there, but buying a piece of property, property sells for $250,000 an acre where we're standing. $250,000. How many of you are ready to go buy 10 acres? Neither was I. I remember being at the end of myself going, God, we'll never build it. Well, how are we going to do any of these things? And giving up, crying, all the things that go with it. And the telephone rings. And a pastor who had bought this 30 years ago tells me this story. We were going to build a church on it. We're unable to do so. We're closing the door of our church. The property's going to fall back into the hands of a business developer unless you buy the property. Well, I don't have any money. Well, you don't know how much I want for it. That's true. How much do you want for it? Guy goes, you can have everything that we have for $500,000. It's exactly what we had in the bank. Buy the piece of property, go to the bank with it. The bank does an estimate on the property and then is willing to let us 
get involved in. I, time after time, the stories I can tell of how God showed up when I was, listen, when I say coming to the end of yourself will be the greatest day of your life, that if you really knew what I was saying, it's easy to sit here and go amen to it. Have you ever come to the end of yourself? Because if you have, you know the fear that's at that place. The out of control feeling. The whole issue of I can't do anything about it. You can't fight anymore. You can't yell anymore. You can't control it anymore. You can't change it. You can't do anything. Only God, if you don't come through, we're done. What is it about that day when you finally give up and cast everything on him that is so good then? Because when you find that your father actually will catch you. Actually, when you find out he never let you go. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Oh, it's, it's where the miraculous lives at. Be strong in God. Paul teaches Timothy the same idea. Be strong in the Lord. In his power, and his might. The Bible says this about Jesus. When I think of being strong in the Lord, coming to the end of yourself, if you ever read Paul's account of communion, Paul begins this way. On the night Jesus was betrayed. Let me just stop there and ask you this question. Have you ever felt betrayal? Have you ever felt someone put a knife in your back? Have you ever felt someone abandoned? Has, has it ever happened in a relationship? Has it ever happened in a business venture? Has it ever happened with somebody you trust? you ever felt rejection? Betrayal is rejection magnified. It's the ultimate insult to a person. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He took the cup and he prayed over it and he gave it. Let me ask you this question. When you're betrayed, do you feel like giving to other people? When you're betrayed, do you feel like doing anything kind for anybody else? I, I would say to you, when I feel like I've been betrayed, here's what I want. I want everybody to be nice to me. I want everybody to minister to me. Here's Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, suffering the ultimate betrayal. Here's what Christ does with it. He turns around and gives his life up for his disciples and ultimately for us. When I say be strong in the Lord, this is what I'm talking about. Being strong in the Lord is not some namby-pamby, wimpy, oh, kumbaya, come on. Being strong in the Lord is this. When you face the ultimate odds, you're able to run to God and God is your protection. Being strong in the Lord is when everything in your marriage goes to hell in a handbasket. You're able to go to God. You don't run to the neighbor. You don't run to your mother. You don't run to your friend. Being strong in the Lord is when your business fails, when the finances are upside down, when everything around you has gone the other way. You're able to go to God, and you're able to find comfort in God. That's being strong in the Lord. Paul talks about being strong in the Lord. It's not just simply, oh, that's a nice idea. It may be, how about this? If you really know what I'm talking about, it may be the most difficult thing in the world to do, to be strong in God when everything's going wrong. A little further on, Paul writes to the Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against, what does it say right there? Let's try that again. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. In the Greek, the word scheme is methodia. 
we get the modern word English method. It would just be rendered this way in modern English. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's methods. Would anyone in here agree with me that the devil has methods and that they're pretty effective? The real meaning of this scripture is interesting. The word method there, it's a word picture in the Greek. It means well-worn path. I taught one time this idea. I, I saw it recently. If you ever go to the mountains or you head out to the eastern plains, any place where there's domesticated animals, cattle, sheep, whatever. Have you ever noticed, if you look through a field, you ever seen just the little paths that are all through the grass? The grass has died where the animals were. Animals, for the most part, a lot of, you look at them, they look like they wander all over. The truth of the matter is, animals follow a path. If you're a hunter, you look for the game trail. The game trail is the place that the animals travel on. You want to set yourself up on a game trail where the animals are going to cross. The word here, method, literally is the well-worn path. And here's the idea, that the enemy travels a particular path into your life. And that path, he travels it so much that it's the well-worn path. Nothing grows on that path because he travels it over and over. Here's the question. Does the devil have a way that's been pretty successful with you? Has he figured out a method, a scheme, or a pathway into your life? Have you ever recognized that the path that works in your life may not work in somebody else's life? Yeah. Yep. So when people come and say, I'm struggling with this, or I'm, I'm tempted with this, or I'm falling with this, and you hear it, and you think to yourself, well, that's not so difficult, because that's not the method he's worked in your life. But the method he's worked in my life, he's successful with it. And generally speaking, here's what's really tricky about the method. The method is so, it's so out there and so plain and so common that you can't see the forest because of the trees. The method becomes such a normal part of your life that you don't even recognize the devil is, it's just that scheme. So what is Paul teaching here then? Be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the path that the devil uses to get into your life. I put down in your notes right here, to defeat the enemy, there's a twofold issue here. The first one is Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. The breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. He goes through an entire issue that people living at that time who would be familiar with the Roman army would have recognized what he's saying. So what Paul tells us in order to defeat the enemy, in order to take your stand against the devil, in order to be successful in fighting the enemy, there are two things. The first one is you've got to pick up all of the weapons or the tools that God gives you. Next week, we'll look at those a little more. There are offensive and defensive tools. A shield can be used offensively or defensively. A sword is obviously offensively, but a breastplate, a helmet, they're defensive weapons. There's different schemes or methods that God gives us in order to defeat the devil. Here's what God is teaching in this idea right here. In order to defeat him, you've got to put on the whole armor of God, and then you take your stand. How many people are taking a stand, but they're naked as they can be? Yeah. 
Would you fight naked? We say no. How many of us go out against the enemy every day without truth? Without peace? Without righteousness? How many of us enter into battle? How many of us are frustrated, tired at the enemy over and over again, walking that path, tripping us up, stealing, robbing, killing from us? Over and over again, being successful. How mad are we? How tired are we? And then we enter into battle, but we're not dressed. So I ask the question, who would fight naked? Everybody says, I wouldn't. But did you wake up and take truth and put it on you first before you go against the devil? Does it make any sense? Here's, here's the way to look at it. He's faster than you are. He's smarter than you are. If you fight him in the flesh, he's already figured out the next move. He's already got you. The devil schemes is it's a wicked idea. I put in the notes a video. I'm going to show it to you here in just a second. There are many ways to take a stand in this life. I'm talking on spiritual issues right now, but I'm about to use a physical demonstration of a spiritual issue. Let me, let me try to say this the right way. See if I can make sense with it. Um, would you agree with me that if it's a spiritual issue, ultimately, in order for the devil to win, it may be a spiritual issue, but he wants it to manifest physically. Okay, what, what, what the enemy did with, with that man's son in Matthew 17, he possessed him spiritually, but it manifested in a suicide issue. You, you agree with that? I would say that the battles we fight in life, many times, here's what we do. We see things physically, and we try to handle them physically. But really what we need to see is that it's a spiritual issue, and we've got to battle it spiritually in order to take care of it physically. All right, a couple weeks ago, I just mentioned the idea that we're coming up to a vote here. Yeah, I see people, they perk up all of a sudden. What's he going to say? People, people love politics. Let me say something about politics. Politics may be the quickest way to divide a church. Do you recognize my job is not to bring division, but to bring unity? But without question, here's the statement that I make a couple of weeks ago. Your job is never to vote with your pocketbook. Your job is never to vote with your union. Your job is never to vote with the color of your skin. Your job is to vote with what God says about an issue. If you're a believer, you've got to say amen to that. Because if you don't say amen to that, you are living in this world. Here's what Jesus said. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your job, know what it looks like there so that you bring it here. We happen to live in a country that allows us, with our vote, to enact particular laws that we then live with that either create moral backgrounds or immoral backgrounds. Yes or no? 
so that when we have things like take a stand, one of the issues you've got to look at when it comes to po- politics, tell me there's not a more, ish- more physical, you want to get a hold of it physically. What if we begin to look at what's the spiritual thing underneath this that is manifested physically? What if the devil is so good at what he does that we spend our time fighting on physical issues and it's a spiritual issue underneath? Is it possible? What if your real enemy wasn't Obama? What if your real enemy wasn't Mitt Romney? What if your enemy, what if it wasn't a Republican or a Democrat? What if that wasn't your enemy? What if your enemy was a scoundrel cast from heaven who's actually out to destroy your soul? Wow, thank you for the overwhelming support and positive. All right, well, watch this and then see what you think. Just a few days ago, we paused to celebrate 236 years of freedom as Americans. Here in San Diego, in the church that I pastor, we celebrated with stirring patriotic music, pageantry, and indoor fireworks. We also placed over 1,000 medals of honor around the necks of our veterans and those currently serving in the military. This year, among those we honored were 21 wounded warriors from the Naval Hospital, several surviving heroes from Pearl Harbor, and a young corpsman who has served five tours of duty in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, and was headed back to Afghanistan for his seventh appointment. Each year, as I watch these brave men and women come forward to receive our gratitude, I wonder if what we have allowed to happen in our country is worthy of their sacrifice. Today, America seems to have lost her way. Wall Street columnist Peggy Noonan sums it up best when she writes that there is across America a sense that the wheels are coming off the trolley and the trolley is off the tracks and hurtling forward toward an unknown destination that in some deep and fundamental way, things have broken down and can't be fixed or won't be fixed anytime soon. Financially, we are in a deep hole and continue to dig that hole deeper. People have lost their homes and along with losing their homes, many have lost their hope. Spiritually, we have marginalized the Bible, we've trivialized marriage and we've neutralized the church. America today is in great turmoil. It feels like the soul of our nation has been taken from us. Now, most of us here are fully aware of the precarious situation in which we find ourselves, economically, spiritually, and politically. And yet at the same time, if we're honest, we feel rather powerless to do anything about it. Now, I understand that feeling of helplessness, but I want to tell you, that we are not helpless. In this election, we will determine who the men and women will be who will lead us in this critical hour of our nation. Most everyone is telling me that this may be the most important election in our nation's history. 
Here is what you and I can do to make a difference. First of all, we can pray. The Old Testament teaches us that if we humble ourselves and pray, God will hear from heaven and heal our land. And the New Testament assures us that the fervent prayers of righteous men can make a difference. Yes, we can pray. And secondly, we can register and vote. In the last election, less than half of those who were eligible to vote were registered. And of those who did register, less than half of them actually went to the polls and voted. Our young men and women give their limbs and their lives to assure our freedom, and we don't even trouble ourselves to vote. No wonder we are in the mess we are in. Some say to me that they don't vote because they don't believe that one vote makes any difference. But the truth is, you are you, the only you in the world. Edward Everett Hale put it this way, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something, and I will not refuse to do the something I can do. History is full of stories of single individuals making a difference. Think of the many military battles that turned on the heroism of one man. Think of the men and women of the Bible and the men and women of history who believed in the power of one and changed the world. If we are honest, the real reason we don't vote is simply this. We are indifferent. And yet we are so vocal and critical when things do not turn out the way we want them to. Several years ago, during a class in political science in a Christian college, there was an unusual amount of complaining over the seedy politicians that had been elected in the recent election. Yet when the professor asked the students to raise their hands if they had voted, only two of them raised their hands and the rest of the class admitted they had not even registered. Well, the professor told the class, for the rest of the semester, if you didn't vote, you have lost your right to complain in this class. Years later, the students still remembered that class. As Christians, the Bible tells us that we are to be salt and light in the world. And the time has come for us to let our voices be heard and our votes be counted. And this time when you vote, don't vote your geographical location. Don't vote your religious denomination. Don't vote your political affiliation. Don't vote your racial identification. Don't even vote your union obligation. This time when you vote, vote your values. Vote your beliefs. Vote your convictions. And if candidates want your vote, let them earn it the old-fashioned way. Let them make commitments to your values and let them know that you intend to hold them responsible. Over the last years I've traveled, I have been asked this question over and over again. Dr. Jeremiah, do you think God is finished with America? But that is the wrong question. The right question is, is America finished with God? Over these next days, as we pray and register and vote, we can send a strong message to the watching world that we are still one nation under God. I'm David Jeremiah.
and I approve of this message. <laughs> so I'm read it again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your, scan, your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and, have, and after you have done everything to stand, stand therefore. I think the third thing I would throw at you very quickly from the scripture, learn to recognize the real enemy. If the Bible says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, then it means our struggle is not against a man and a woman. How easy it is to pinpoint that as the issue and then we fight the wrong enemy. Listen to, listen to the strength of this tactician. How good would you be to start a battle than to disappear and to have people fighting each other over the battle you started while you're over here not even seen for what you did? How good of a tactician are you at that level? He is a master tactician. Therefore, God says, we don't wrestle flesh and blood. We wrestle principalities, spiritual wickedness, forces unseen. Therefore, to fight them. You've got to fight spiritually. How then do we do that? One of the ways we take a stand, what does God want to have happen in our country? That's how you vote. You don't vote then what your political affiliation is. You don't vote then what the newspaper or the columnist said. You don't vote what your father said. You vote for what God said. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not a man. It is a spiritual principle we must take a stand for or against. Put that in your notes. The wise, the foolish, and the evil. The Bible's clear on the issue. There are wise people, there are foolish people, and there are evil people. Here's how the Bible describes them, though. Wise people are people who take correction. Foolish people are people who won't take correction. Evil people are people who embrace what the enemy wants. That's how we wrestle. Here's a thought. I would say that the clearest proof that the enemy is at work is if you find division in your household, on your job, or in your country. Let me try that again. I would say the clearest proof that the enemy is at work is that you find division at any part of your life. Genesis chapter 3. The very first time that the enemy is allowed to affect a couple, Adam and Eve, what happens? Division. Adam begins to blame Eve. Eve begins to blame the devil. They both end up blaming each other and separation takes place. Look at me. If you see separation anywhere in this world, what should you be looking for? An enemy who has affected that particular thing. Do you hear what I said? How about this? When you can't pinpoint a cause, look for a spirit. Did you hear that? Last but not least, Paul says in this scripture, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. Let me just quickly talk about the day of evil. The Bible never promises us 
that by serving Christ, we don't go through difficulty. In fact, the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. There is no promise that we don't go through difficulties. Anyone in this room ever gone through the day of evil? Anybody in this room ever gone through a time where it just felt like, man, the devil's winning in my life? Let me just quickly say this to you. The day of evil is not a day in the future that we're all going to face. The day of evil is an ongoing issue that from time to time, believers end up walking through. You may walk through the day of evil in your marriage. You may walk through it at your job. You may walk through it in politics. You're gonna find the day of evil wherever you go. So how do you handle the day of evil? What do you do? What makes you stand? I put down, they're not in your notes, but if you've got a pen, you may wanna write it down. How to handle the day of adversity or the day of evil. It's just three things that I know God has taught me, and I'll give them to you quickly. The first one is, when evil comes, run to God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says that whenever we're in need, we're to come boldly to the throne room to obtain grace and mercy at that time of need. Anytime you find adversity in your life, anytime you're in the day of evil, the first thing you should do, run to God. That's the day you give up. That's the day you're not strong in the flesh, but strong in the spirit. The second thing you do when you're in the day of adversity, you submit to God and resist the devil. James 4, 7 says that. Submit to God, resist the devil. Last but not least, endure. Paul told Timothy, endure hardships like a good-minded soldier. I guess finally, how I would close this message is to say this. If you find yourself in the day of evil and you stumble, I don't know if anybody's willing to be real, my biggest stumbles have always come in the day of evil. I don't stumble when everything's good. I don't stumble when everything's easy. I stumble when I'm set up. I stumble when the devil has done a good job getting into my life. What do you do when you stumble? Proverbs says, if the righteous man falls seven times, seven times he gets back up. It's an analogy that you don't just have seven times and some of you are on your eighth one so you don't know what you're going to do. Here's what it means. No matter how many times you fall, get back up. God is merciful. God is willing to give you a second. How about this? God is the God of a second chance for a thousandth time. Anybody? Hey, out in our lobby is an opportunity to register to vote. If you haven't registered to vote, you need to do it. I cannot encourage you enough that you need to sit down. You need to take your Bible in hand. You need to look at this day. And you need to ask yourself, God, what do you want to have happen? You may tend to think, my vote won't change anything. I'm one person. I can't do anything. All it takes for evil to succeed is for good people to sit on the sidelines. That's all it takes. You may go, wow, I'm not sure if this is a spiritual message or if it's a physical message. Both. It is both. Don't just sit there and agree with me tonight. Put action to what was said. Do something about taking a stand. Do something about the condition that you find things in around you. Don't allow the enemy to win. Don't allow him to win. Father, we just come before you. God, here's where we are. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We submit ourselves to you and want to do everything that you've called us to do. God, I don't think there's a person in here who is wanting the opposite. I think they're here tonight, God, because they're in love with you. I think they're here tonight because they want to do what you want them to do. God, would you direct us tonight? Would you help us tonight? Would you show us tonight? Father, for those that find themselves battling the day of evil right now, 
I'm going to ask God for grace and mercy over their lives. I don't know where they're battling. I don't know how they're battling. Maybe you're sitting right now at Highlands Ranch, Lakewood, Castle Rock. Maybe you listen to this in your car. However you find yourself in that day of adversity, in that day of trouble, here's what I'm telling you. God wants you to run to him because he's merciful. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. I'm telling you the answer, friend. Come to the end of yourself. Come to God. That's the realm of the miraculous. That's where God can take over. That's where God can help you. Run to him. If you go, Pastor, you just don't know my situation. If you knew, you wouldn't be able to say that so easily or so freely. Friend, you don't know my situation, and it won't do you any good for me to sit here and tell you everything that I've been through because it's always relative to the person. The issue, bottom line, is if you find yourself in the day of evil, the day of adversity, God invites you to run to him, to come to him, to bring everything to him. Gosh, wherever you are, however you hear the message, if it applies to you, if it appeals to your heart, no one's asking you to get religion. No one's asking you to reform. Here's what I'm asking you. Do you need God's mercy? Do you need God's grace? Do you need God's help? Have you come to the end of yourself? If you hear that, and it pierces your heart, it speaks to you. If you say, Pastor, I need God's help. I need his grace and I need his mercy. Pastor, would you pray for me tonight? Would you remember me in your prayers? Let's just make this real easy. If that's you, and you just say, I just need that to happen for me. Remember me in your prayers, John. If that's you, just slip your hand up right now. Pastor, pray for me. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of us. I think it's going to be true at every campus. I think every campus pastor right now that's looking out and sees the amount of hands out there, you're going to feel the same thing that I feel right now. Only God can answer this. Father, for every person as we take the time to engage with you, whatever the situation is, you don't qualify our coming to you by a situation. You just qualify us that if we need help, we can boldly come to the throne room to obtain grace and mercy. For every person, God, requiring your help tonight, help them. Father, as we engage with you right now, would you show up in our lives? Would you send the Holy Spirit to minister? Would you open us up right now? God, would you speak? Father, I thank you for hearing us. I thank you, God. I thank you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.